As we move into the second sermon in our series in the book of Philippians, uh, last, last week we found ourselves struggling together, finding that the partnership in the gospel was worth all of the struggles that we face. Today, uh, we find ourselves in our struggle for that very gospel itself. Stand with me wherever you are. As we read from the Word of God, we'll start reading in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Philippians 1, 12 through 18 this morning. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord in my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Pray with me. Father, we rejoice for your gospel, and we recognize that it will bring struggle. Father, your gospel is worth the struggle. Help us to endure with faithfulness and the endurance that comes through faith. Help us to be your witnesses, no matter what the cost. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We need a resilient gospel. We do not need a gospel that is wishy-washy. A gospel that is prone to mistakes and error. We do not need a gospel that is half-baked. We do not need a gospel that is Good for good times. I think of an investment manager. When the market is up and his investments are up and he thinks that he's all that in a bag of chips, that's not the real test of an investment manager, is it? It's the downturns. It's the crashes and the depressions. The ones that can go through the hardest times. The ones that can endure the worst of situations and circumstances. Those are the ones worth following. We need a resilient gospel, a gospel that will not fail in the most difficult of times. And thank God, his gospel is resilient. This message of God's love to sinful man has withstood trials and tribulation throughout the ages. Just ask anyone who has ever tried to eliminate the church. Go ahead and ask Nero, how hard is it to get rid of Christians? Ask the Chinese communist government that for years shut out China to the world and tried to eliminate Christianity. The rest of the world thought it was all but gone, only to find out the underground church in China is thriving. You see, the gospel is resilient. Ask kings and emperors. Ask atheists. Ask those who have opposed it throughout the ages. And they will all tell you the same thing. The gospel 
is resilient. Paul saw the resiliency of the gospel in his own life. He saw it in two specific ways, two specific resiliencies that the gospel demonstrated in Paul. First, the gospel is resilient against oppression. The gospel is resilient against oppression. Look at verses 12 to 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul has stumbled upon one of the most counterintuitive aspects of God's plan. It thrives in opposition. It is resilient against opposition. Stories of martyrs in times past call us to notice the resiliency of that gospel. I think of Polycarp. Eighty and six years have I lived for Christ and he has never once rejected me. How can I recant the one who loves me so? I think of Tertullian. Tertullian was a Christian apologist. Apologist, uh, uh, Originally, the idea of apologetics was defending the gospel against attacks from without. And so Tertullian, in his apology, says this. He says, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Your injustice is proof that we are innocent. He goes on to say, the oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. Maybe you've heard that statement. The blood of the martyrs is seed of the church. That's where it comes from. Paul's own life demonstrates the resiliency in the gospel uh, in the face of opposition. And in him, through imprisonment, not only does the gospel survive while Paul is incarcerated, but it thrives. The persecution of imprisonment to Paul serves only as a new means for sharing the gospel. Think think about it. All day, every day, Paul is physically chained to a Roman soldier. Now, if he was in Rome while he's writing this letter, he is writing this letter chained to a soldier in Rome over a two-year period. He had other imprisonments that would be similar Paul is literally chained to a prisoner as he's writing these words. And everything he's doing, he eats with a soldier. He sleeps, chained to a soldier. He goes to the bathroom, chained to a soldier. I mean, this guy is never alone. And it would be in those times that Paul would strike up conversations. Conversations about maybe the armor that that soldier was wearing. What, uh, I notice you're wearing a belt. What is that for? What does that do? He might ask another one, that's an interesting breastplate. Why is it made like that? What's what's that made out of? Maybe one soldier's helmet was a little different from another's because of his rank. What's what's the difference in your helmets? Yours looks like this, but his looks like that. And in those times, his mind running begins to think of the analogies to the Christian life. That belt, you know, that belt, just like truth, keeps my feet from stumbling when I walk. 
You know, your, your belt keeps you from stumbling in the field of battle. The truth of God's word keeps me from stumbling in my life, in my race as I run for Christ. That, that helmet like salvation guards my mind from those unholy concentrations. That breastplate, just like righteousness, guards my heart, protecting me from those fiery arrows of Satan. What better chance could Paul have had than to have a captive audience? That soldier would be chained to Paul for his shift, and he couldn't go anywhere. Maybe at first some would just tell him to shut up. But as they got to know him, as they interacted with him, days, weeks, months, and every few hours you get fresh ears to hear for someone else to hear about Christ. What better witness could Paul have had could Paul have had than to preach one by one to every soldier in the unit that's supposed to be guarding him? What other opportunity could Paul ask for than to have be able to consistently demonstrate the attitude of Christ, an attitude of joy in the midst of imprisonment and bonds over a long period of time? regardless of the evil ideas that men have had to halt the progress of the gospel by chaining Paul. He found that even in chains, the gospel is free to advance. In fact, that word advance, that's the crew that goes before the army, clearing the thicket, making the path for the army to come through. Paul is clearing the thickets away within the Praetorian Guard. He is clearing away all of the obstacles so that Christianity can thrive in years to come. You cannot stop the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ with mere iron chains. So not only does his imprisonment provide Paul with opportunities to share Jesus, it also gives others the boldness to share as well. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Wait a minute, wait a minute. His his imprisonment is bringing confidence to others? Oh, you better believe it. Rich Mullins sings a song. He says, did they tell you stories about the saints of old? Stories about their faith. They say stories like that make a man grow bold. Stories like that make a man walk straight. You see, it's those times when people are enduring the suffering for the cause of Christ that other Christians find within themselves a confidence they didn't know they have. One of the reasons we need to struggle together for the gospel is because when one person is struggling, it gives another boldness to stand himself. Those brothers are much more bold, Paul says, to speak the word without fear. When we hear stories of men and women forsaking life and fortune for Christ, when we find examples of people facing persecution and peril for the sake of the name, we are emboldened to speak that name above all names more frequently and more fearlessly. I think of Camdenas. Camdenas was the leader of the Thundering Legion, a group of the 40 most valiant soldiers in the entire Roman army. When the emperor decided to persecute Christianity, the general knew the Thundering Legion would have to be set straight. They were all Christians, all 40 of them, and they refused, though promised riches and honor, to renounce Christ and declare their fidelity to Caesar and the Roman gods. So they were stripped of their armor, they were stripped of their clothes, and they were herded into a frozen lake 
and told they would either recant or die. They were tempted by warm fires and fresh clothes on the beach. But throughout the night, the 40 merely prayed, O Lord, 40 wrestlers have come forth to fight for thee. Grant that 40 wrestlers may gain the victory. Late into the night, some had already passed into eternity. One found it too difficult. He recanted. He came onto the shore, offered the sacrifices, and was welcomed by warm fires. The 39 continued praying for the 40 to gain the victory. Then something amazing happened. You see, right in front of that, that house, that, that, that warm house where the recanter was just entering, there was a centurion guarding that house along with some men. His name was Sempronius. As he watched what happened, Sempronius began to be burdened, eventually to the point that he took off his armor, his clothes, ran out onto the lake yelling, I am a Christian! I am a Christian! Let me die with the others! Now why would this one centurion who, who had no danger, was, had nothing to fear at all, what would make him go out into that lake and suffer with those other men? Verse 14 tells us God uses the boldness and the endurance of those who suffer for His name's sake to build up the body, to bring confidence so that we all, all of us, can preach the gospel. It doesn't require a pulpit to preach. We can proclaim Christ throughout the world because we know that if they are willing to die, that we should be too. If they are willing to suffer, we should be too. You see, the gospel is resilient against opposition. The gospel doesn't need a red carpet entry. It doesn't need to be lauded by men. It needs only be proclaimed. Not only is the gospel resilient against opposition, it's also resilient against exploitation. You see, sometimes sometimes the difficulty that the gospel encounters doesn't come from outside the church. It's not someone persecuting or imprisoning or torturing or, or anything like that to Christians. Sometimes it comes within the church. Look in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Sometimes the gospel encounters enemies from within. Our own motives can try to get in the way of the gospel's progress. But just as iron chains can't confine the gospel. Bad motives cannot derail it. Think, think about Pharaoh. <laughs> Here is a man completely opposed to God. God sends a servant Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Then God works through Pharaoh's obstinacy and Yahweh gets his way anyway. Paul, <laughs> Paul is facing a strange situation here. People with vastly different motives are all preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some really do love Paul, and they really do love God. They are, they are certainly the ones showing the gospel through their attitudes and actions, certainly the ones that we ought to be emulating. They stand with Paul as he defends the gospel, as Peter says, always ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. 
Some do it out of pure motives, but others are preaching Christ just to get at Paul. They're preaching the right gospel, but from a heart of envy, jealousy, rivalry. Not only are they trying to beat Paul, they want him to suffer. There's no genuine concern for the things of God in this kind of preaching. It's merely a means to an end. Kick Paul while he's down and boost our own egos in the process. But yet, the gospel goes forth anyway. Verse 18. See, the gospel is victorious in every way. What then? What then? The, the Greek is literally why. Why does it matter? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You see, God doesn't need our cooperation in order to get his gospel out. What can you give the Lord of heaven and earth anyway? I mean, anything you might possibly give, he's already got celestial storehouses full of it. He doesn't need us. But the beauty of the gospel is that he does use us, even though he doesn't need us. And and more than that, he can work through us in spite of us. How many times do we make it harder for God by having the wrong motivations, by having the wrong attitudes, by refusing to do the things that we know we ought to do? How many times do we make it harder? But we cannot stop the gospel's progress. No, because the gospel is resilient against opposition and against exploitation. Whether you're trying to do this for yourself or whether you're trying to do it out of a genuine love for God, God is only concerned that the gospel is being preached because His gospel will do exactly what He wants it to do. Isaiah 55, Isaiah says, "My word." God says through Isaiah, My word will not return to me void. The gospel is resilient even when you aren't cooperative. Elias was a young man. A preacher's son. (laughs) Rebellious as the day is long. Now, I know that's hard to believe that a preacher's son could be that way. He came to America to make his fortune and escape the discipline and the religion of his parents. Funny thing is, Elias was fond of respect, and so he liked to dress like a clergyman. Well, pretty soon it became found out just who Elias was. His father, the son of a, a preacher, and... So he was invited to preach at a church. A whole bunch of people gathered from all around to hear his sermon. And as he began preaching, something amazing happened. Now, you see, for a preacher's son, all you got to do is copy dad's sermon. And that's what he was doing. He was just reading one of dad's sermons. I don't know if he swiped it or if he just heard it too many times. It didn't matter that his motivation wasn't right. It didn't matter that he was a crook. It didn't matter that he didn't know Jesus from any other person when he stepped into the pulpit that Sunday. God used Elias' preaching to bring a lost sinner to Christ that day. Elias was saved in his own preaching. He would end up becoming the pastor of the first permanent Baptist church in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, in all of Pennsylvania. A key church that would play Uh, a a massive role in starting churches all over the mid-Atlantic region that would be one of the churches to form the first Baptist association in America. He would be instrumental in God's work. And he was saved while he was preaching. You see, when Christ is lifted high, it doesn't matter what the motivations of the lifter are. 
Christ will draw men to himself. Paul finds that the exaltation of Christ is the most important thing. Now, if someone's preaching a false gospel, Paul is completely different. In the book of Galatians, he says in, in a couple of ways, let him be anathema. If he's preaching to you a false gospel, even if I come preaching a false gospel, let me be anathema. He says at another point, the, the Judaizers that would have you to have circumcision to become a good Jew instead of trusting in God's grace, I, I wish that they would emasculate themselves. I mean, Paul is not kind to false preachers. But when Christ is being preached rightly, when the gospel is being proclaimed, the true gospel, when it's going forth, the motives of those who are proclaiming Christ don't matter nearly as much as the truth that they are proclaiming. Paul has learned to rejoice that Christ is exalted, even if it means he's being slighted in the process. Boy, what an example for us. The gospel faces many struggles. All of us, as church members, as preachers or teachers, deacons, parents, grandparents, children, employees, managers, we all face many struggles as we share the gospel, we ought to struggle for the gospel. While we may not freeze in a lake for our faith, may not be converted while we're preaching. I've already taken care of that, by the way. We should struggle through the difficulties and hardships we face for the sake of Christ's name. But we should also rejoice in those struggles because the struggles are the means by which the gospel advances in our world. We cannot sit idly by and wait for God to do his work all around us. He has called us to go. He has called us to proclaim. He has called us to make disciples. We are called. And whether we face struggles like persecution and imprisonment, or whether we are the source of the struggles because of bad motives, we can rejoice in the resiliency of the gospel to overcome every opposition and every exploitation to be victorious in every way. Father, I pray that your resilient gospel will overcome us when our motives fall short. I pray that your resilient gospel will overcome those who mean for evil what you are turning for good. We over... We, we pray that your gospel, your resilient, overcoming gospel would win the victory and that we would play a role in making that happen. Lord, we know it's all up to you, but we also know that you have called us to come alongside you and to participate in the work. Help us be good sidekicks. Help us be resilient as we struggle for your resilient gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.